So today we want to say Merry Christmas. Everybody got the memo. Everybody's in their red and uh, green. Some, some of us, but uh, I wanted to tell you that wherever you go, whatever you do, you're still a part of the family here at Luke 418, and we hope that you have a Merry Christmas. In every family, you have that one kid that is uh, awake at 3 a.m. and looking at the presents on Christmas morning, excited, ready to go. Our ensemble is that crazy kid uh, in our praise ministry, and we're going to be singing for you uh, Joy to the World like you've never heard it. Uh, if you know the history of Joy to the World, it's not supposed to be a Christmas song. It was actually written for the second coming of Christ, uh, and if that could be today, it would, be, it would make our joy complete. Uh, but this is a, a great version of Joy to the World.
Amen, amen. I hope that y'all know that we have a joy that does not pass away if we have joy in Jesus Christ. And we know that day is coming soon that we will celebrate together. Sunday is Christmas Day. Next Sunday is Christmas Day. And our family will be gathering together here. We would love for you to be right here worshiping the Savior. But as for today, we have the exact same goal as we're going to have next week. And that is worshiping in spirit and in truth together. Why don't you stand and we will uh, welcome each other as we prepare for worship. day but every day let's shout it from the mountains this morning from the mountains we will shout it out for the lord our god almighty reigns Christ is with us he is with us now for the lord our god almighty reigns from the mountains we will shout it
story that we celebrate each year. A baby born in a manger. And the first people that heard about the newborn king was not the rich and powerful. It was not the most famous, the most well-liked people. It was the shepherds, the outcasts of society, the people that they didn't even want to look at. That was exactly our position before Jesus came and died on a cross and rose on the third day. We were outcasts, enemies of God. Until that holy night, the beginning of the redemption story that had been foretold after years and years had come to fruition in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. Let's sing of that silent night today. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant soul. valley we're in in life we have a savior who is stronger than anything this world can throw at us so as we go forward we are led by the good shepherd today let's sing there is love that came for us there is love that came for us humble to a sinner's cross you broke my shame and sinfulness, you rose again, victorious. 
faithfulness none can deny through the storm and through the fire there is truth that sets me free Jesus Christ who lives in me you are stronger you are stronger sin is broken you have saved me it is written Christ is risen Jesus you are Lord of You came to seek and save the lost. You paid it all upon the cross. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you our Lord of all. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. Lift him up. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. You are stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me. and will be. Amen. We have many beginnings in scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Matthew, we have the genealogy of Christ. We see who God used and who served to to be a part of the story of, of Christ. Did you know that the word that Matthew uses there is Genesis? A new beginning again, right? When Jesus came. We also have the beginning at the end in Revelation, a new heaven, a new earth, old things passing away, new things coming. And we say today, as we, as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we say, come, Lord Jesus, right? It says this in Revelation twenty two twelve. It's Christ speaking here. He says this, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me 
to render to every man according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and also the end. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. And the church said, Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. Let's sing together. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Father, we have gathered together to praise your name. Fully knowing of what you've done for us on the cross, fully knowing uh, the extent of, of how lost and how hopeless we were without you. We thank you for the chance to receive you and to receive eternal life and an abundant life here as we serve you together. We pray that we will get to know you better each and every day. To grow together as the body of Christ, abide in you daily to go in you to all the world to those who need the light and the hope that you bring and we're looking forward to that day when we will see you face to face whether when you call us home or if you come back and we see you that way Lord we say come Lord Jesus 
Let us know the things that you have prepared for us beforehand to go and to do. Lord, we give you all of our praise today. Lift you up and we say, you are our hope and we follow after you. Amen.
tells me, I want you to preach a Christmas message, but don't tell the story that they're expecting. I want that one for next week. Okay, Brother David, we'll, we'll tell the Christmas message without mentioning Jesus in the manger. Um, no problem. Um, thank you, Heidi, for that. Wherever you went, there you are. Um, what a blessing. Um, did you hear the lyrics there as she was singing? Come all who are weary. Come all who are struggling. Come all who have trials. Come all who have problems. Isn't that all of us in some way? If we're really honest today, don't we, don't we all have things in our heart, things in our life, things that we struggle with, some that others know about, and some that no one knows about. Do you ever just think, it's just not supposed to be this way? We look at our world, and it's such a mess. We look at our country, we look at, we watch the news, we, we, we see hurt all around us. We can see it in our communities. We have it even in our own families. There's, there's conflict. There's problems. There's issues. And it just isn't supposed to be like this. had a conversation with a parent here at Luke 418 this week. And, and he told me about a breakfast that he had with his daughter. And he said that his daughter had his favorite cereal in the bowl. And, and, and she began to explain just how this is perfect. The best cereal ever. And then you pour in the milk, and then it begins to get a little bit soggy. And went on to say that the marshmallows are perfect, whether they're in the milk or out of the milk. And, and I'll, I'll let him work out the theology with his daughter about all of that. But, but isn't that a, a real picture of life for us? Does that remind you of anything? Because for me, it takes us all the way back to Genesis, the beginning that Aaron spoke of just a minute ago. In Genesis chapter 1... Verse 26 and 7, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish and over the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now, if we fast forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 2, God tells us it wasn't good for man to be alone, and he created a helpmate suitable for him. And so not only were we created for a relationship with God, but we were created for a relationship with others as well. But the first thing that we see this morning is that we were created for a relationship. I'm always blown away to think about Adam and Eve spending time in the garden without the effects of sin. Each of us live surrounded by the effects of sin. Each of us live in a fallen world. But they had the opportunity to walk with God in the cool of the evening with nothing separating them from him at all. Sadly, it didn't take long for those relationships to get messed up. Just a few chapters later, we know that Adam and Eve shared a piece of the fruit of the garden, the only thing that the Lord withheld from them to eat. And it's been downhill ever since. Ever since then, we've been trying to get back to this perfect, untainted, completely fulfilled relationship with God and healthy relationships with one another. But we're hindered 
right, by the lingering effects of the choices that Adam and Eve made. We're still hindered by the fact that they made those choices, and we're also hindered by the choices that we've made in our flesh and in our sinfulness and in our selfishness, and that is the sin that we live with. The truth is, is that we can relate to that bowl of cereal. I relate to wanting everything to be back just the way it was supposed to be when it was perfect before it was flawed. Jeremiah 9, 24, the Lord tells us that if a man is going to boast in anything, it shouldn't be his wisdom, it shouldn't be his strength, it shouldn't be his possessions, but rather it should be in his understanding and knowing God. A few chapters later, he says in Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord. Not only were we, were we created in his image, but we were created to know him. We were created to have a relationship with him. And that's the hard part because we live in this broken world surrounded by the consequences of sin. So not only were we created for relationship, but we live in a broken world. But the broken world part is not just what we see on the news. The broken world part is not just the wars in other places. The broken world is not just the horribly blatant, sinful, rebellious people that we can point out so easily. The truth is that the broken world part includes me, and it includes you. Day after day, as we struggle in our own flesh to walk in the Spirit. Now we know Galatians 5 teaches us in verse 16, but I say walk in the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you do not do the things that you please. We hear Paul talk about that in Romans chapter 7. For I know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage of sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. What I'm practicing, I do not want to do. But I am doing the very thing that I hate. What's he saying here? I know what I should do. I know what I'm supposed to do. But my broken, sinful flesh wars against that, and I struggle. For those of us who are in Christ... We understand that. We understand that battle within us because we do have the spirit within us. And we have been freed from the bondage of sin and the captivity of that. But the truth is, is that the struggle remains. And we don't always do what is right. There's this conflict between what we know should be, right? We should be walking with Jesus at all times. We should be in perfect fellowship with him. We should be obeying everything in scripture. And the conflict of I'm not quite there yet. Maybe it's just me. I want to tell you a story. There once was a young lady who grew up in a, a glorious place called Auburn. And she had an awesome life and a wonderful family and a great church home. And as she got older, she met a, a young man. Well, actually, he wasn't really young. But she met this guy. And man, it was love at first sight. She could not believe the opportunity she had to date this guy. Um, she went on to get engaged, and all of her dreams were going to come true. She was going to be married. I think we have a picture of that. Oh, oh my goodness. She still looks the same, but I do not. I'm going to tell you what. I stood in front of a church with tears streaming down my face when that walked down the aisle. She got her dream, we got married, 
We had three adorable children. And then taking up her dad's business, I went into the ministry. I was a pastor. She had everything she could fathom. She's sitting on the front row, not, not, not nodding her head at this moment. Y'all understand what I'm saying, right? There was this picture of perfect. And then there was this reality of life. Because the truth is, some of that was true, right, baby? Tell me at least some of it was. <laughs> Give me, throw me a bone here. Some of that was true. The truth is, I'm the one who won the prize. And the truth is, is we are married and have a great relationship. The truth is, we do have three adorable kids. But the truth is also that marriage can be hard. And we've had hard times. The truth is, those three adorable kids, two of which are in the room, at times have been difficult. The truth is, ministry has been the most difficult of all. And that was so surprising for us to walk through. We've been hurt more in ministry than anything else. But, but it's the wrestling between the expectation of perfect and the reality of where we stand today. And it's the same thing that we talk about when we know that we are built for a relationship with God and everything can and should be perfect, but we live in this fallen, broken world. And what are we to do with that? I was on the phone with Hannah's mom one time. I don't remember what we were speaking with. I really do have great in-laws, and we were, we were talking, and she, she, she started laughing and said, I need to tell you a story about when Hannah was little. Hannah and I were making a cake, and we decided that we were going to bake a cake together, and it was wonderful, but it didn't turn out just perfect, right? It was kind of slanted, and Hannah got very upset and said, just throw it away. It is ruined. I want nothing to do with it, and, and Kim said, we could just cut off the top, and we can fix this with icing, and it'll still taste wonderful. We can redeem this, right? But Hannah said, no, it's ruined. And that's kind of the, the balance of, of what should be and what is. The truth is, that's where we all live right now in the in-between. Right now in the in-between. And since I have to stay, save the, the punchline for David next week, next week y'all come back because there's, there's an answer to this problem. But we're not going to get there today. I think of an old, another Old Testament story and that is one of Job. Y'all know the story of Job. Job 1.1, he was a righteous man. But the Lord allowed Satan to what? Test him. And he lost his children. He lost his possessions. He lost his wealth. He lost his own health. Yet he refused to curse God. Job had every circumstance and every reality to give up on the Lord and say, why is my life like this? This shouldn't be like this. But he understood that he lived in a fallen world and Satan was literally wrecking his life. And Job's response, although his life was tough, the Lord had promised that one day he would send one, a redeemer, to make things right. He knew that one day, he said in Job 19.25, I know that my redeemer lives. God has promised one day to make this right. And he claimed that hope. Hope has a name, right? The, theory, the theme of the month. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. One day there will be a redeemer that will come and make sense of this. And he claimed that. He placed his faith and his trust and his hope in what was yet to come. We have to remember that also 
as we live in a place, although our Redeemer has come and we know what happened in the manger and He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, but one day He will come again and there will be no more wrestling with our flesh. There will be no more wrestling with our sin. We will live in perfect unity with Him forever. We have... We were created for a relationship and we live in a broken, broken world, but we can know this, that the Lord is with us. Like Job knew, we can also know that the Lord is with us today. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but this is a passage that I go back to over and over and you'll hear it again if I have the opportunity to speak again. Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Oh, how many times I've had to go back to that passage. When things get difficult, I have to to be reminded that the Lord is with me. When life gets tough. Even when I'm in the fire, even when I feel like I'm drowning, I need to be reminded that he's there. Back in my youth pastor days, we went on a whitewater rafting trip and I had to have a t-shirt. I don't make as many as Brother Matthew does, but I had to have a t-shirt for that trip. And I put, when you pass through the waters, he will be with you. That's true, right? How much more true is it when life gets difficult? How much more true is it when things seem to be falling apart? So we were created for relationship. We live in a broken world. We know the Lord is with us, but we can trust the Lord has a plan. Now, y'all remember, I'm on, I'm on point four. Brother Dave would still be doing this introduction. <laughs> the Lord has a plan. And it makes me think of the life of Joseph. What happened to Joseph's life doesn't make any sense. When I read all about Joseph, this story blows my mind. He was the youngest, and he was the favorite. Mom, that's me. She's the only one on live stream today, Mom. Your favorite, right here. Joseph was the youngest. He was the favorite. He tells his brothers about a dream, and it got him thrown in a pit, left to die. He was retrieved from the pit, only to be sold into slavery and forgotten forever. He worked his way up in Potiphar's house only to be falsely accused and thrown into prison. He interpreted a dream and someone got out and the one person that could have shared that and found his way out failed to help him. He interpreted another dream for Pharaoh and he gets out again and is eventually put in charge of all of Egypt. And years and years later, here come his brothers, what? Begging for food. And there he was with all the power. What was his reaction? Well, revenge, right? He's had years and years and years to be angry. Contempt, surely he had contempt. Maybe a passive-aggressive social media post was his option. No, look with me in Genesis 45. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen to this. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land for two years and there'll be still five years in which there'll be neither plowing or harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore, 
it was not you who sent me, but God. Look down in Genesis 50. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result and preserve many people alive. So therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know, when we understand that God is present with us, when we understand that he is with us, even in the midst of what seems impossible, we are able to have the response that will bring him glory. We are created for relationship. We live in a broken world. The Lord is with us. We trust the Lord has a plan. And we know the Lord will provide Genesis chapter 1 through 11 focus on the consequences of sin. But in Genesis 12, we see Abraham and the Lord makes a promise to him, which y'all are well aware of. But look with me in verses 1, 2, and 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's promise to Abram in Genesis 12 focus on the hope of redemption. Of restored blessing and reconciliation to God. God is going to deal with the problem of sin and evil and he's going to establish his kingdom on earth how he's going to do this begins with the promises to abram or abraham look with me in genesis 17 verse 6 i'll make you exceedingly fruitful and i'll make nations of you the kings will come forth from you i will establish my covenant between you and your descendants and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings and all of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Another story in the Old Testament that just doesn't make any sense. He's promised that he will bless them, but they are old. And we know at 99 years of age, Abraham receives a promise that God would give him a son and bless him and establish the nation of Israel and ultimately bless the world through his son, Isaac. And despite all common sense, the Lord was faithful and Sarah had a son in her old age and they named him Isaac. Then one day, the Lord came to Abraham and called him to do something that made absolutely no sense at all. That went against every promise that he thought he understood from the Lord. And put into question the very future of everything the Lord had said. And most certainly would break his heart forever. And the Lord asked him to go and sacrifice your son on the altar. Scripture tells us that Abraham rose early the next morning, even before light. And headed out to the mountain with Isaac to obey the Lord. I can't imagine what went through his mind on that journey. I can't fathom what was going on in his heart. His love for the Lord. His love for his son. And he told his servants to wait as he went to go and make the sacrifice. The question was asked, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham answers, the Lord will provide. Now Abraham... Knew in his heart that the Lord had given Isaac to him. 
Abraham knew that the Lord had promised salvation would come through Isaac to the world. Abraham knew that the Lord was good and faithful. But Abraham had absolutely no idea what the Lord was about to do because it made no sense. So he walked in obedience. He walked in trust. He walked in faith. And he set the wood and he tied his son and he raised his arm with a knife. An angel of the Lord said, stop, don't lay a hand on him, for I know that you fear God. And looking up, he saw a ram caught in the thicket and took it for the sacrifice. God's promise would come through Isaac, but ultimately Isaac couldn't save. Isaac was not the solution. The Savior would come one day through the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And we know the rest of the story. For those of us who have grown up in In church, for those of us who have read our Bible, we know where the ultimate sacrifice would come. But this story points to the Savior who would be born and ultimately be our provision. God provided a substitute for Isaac, hinting that one day God would provide the proper substitute to pardon sin through Christ Jesus. But through Abraham and Isaac, the Lord promised that believers from all nations would become children of God. Which brings us to our final point this morning. We were created for relationship. And that relationship is a perfect relationship with the Father. We live in a broken world and we still fight our flesh and the consequences of sin around us. The Lord is with us no matter what part of the journey that we are on. And the Lord has a plan and He will provide a way. Now we see that God love, God's love is for all people. Let me look at one last story from the Old Testament, and I want to talk about Jonah. Jonah was a prophet that the Lord sent to Nineveh in order to call them to repent. But Jonah had no intention of going to Nineveh. Jonah didn't think that those people would ever repent. He didn't think that they were worthy of a relationship with the Lord. And so Jonah boards a boat and goes in the opposite direction. So God sends a storm, we know, and the men on the boat cast lots. They find out who it is, and they go to Jonah, and they confront him and said, are you the reason that this has come upon us? And he said, yes, it's because of my disobedience. Throw me overboard. Kill me. Kill me, because I'd rather be thrown overboard than to go and obey the Lord and tell those Ninevites about my God. But God sends a fish to swallow him, and Jonah prays and promises and says he will obey God, and the fish vomits him out on dry ground and gives him a second chance. We know what happens here, right? Well, this time he goes and he calls on the city to repent, although he didn't believe that they would, and the king and the entire city repented. And Jonah goes away upset that the Lord had shown compassion and grace to them and actually said, Lord, I knew you'd do this for them. Now, what's the main main point of Jonas' story? Obey or wind up in fish vomit? (laughs) The main point of Jonas' story is that God loves all people. Even to Jonah's dismay, the Ninevites. May our heart be broken for what breaks the heart of God. 
If we believe that God loved us enough to send his son to forgive us of our sins, it wasn't just for us. Listen to this quote from Howard Culbertson. Let's reflect carefully on the implications of Jonah's story. God was unhappy when Jonah did not care about the city full of people that were estranged from him. Surely God is not pleased today when his people feel little or no burden to reach the as yet unreached peoples of the world. Another quote I came across was from Mark Buchanan. God's extravagant concern for both evil and complacent, the Ninevites as well as the Jonas, for prostitutes as well as the Pharisees, for my enemy as much as it is for me. God's extravagant concern for those who need Jesus is without question. From the beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation, his love for all people and his desire for all to be saved, for his desire for all to hear and find forgiveness from the sin problem that they inherited at birth is without question. Jonah's not a book about Jonah. It's about God revealing his heart for those who do not yet know him. Think back with me for a moment in chapter 4 of Jonah, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, yes, please, Lord. Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I went to Tarshish. For I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounded in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. How did Jonah know that the Lord would be gracious? How did the Lord know that he would be compassionate and show loving kindness? Well, one way he knew is that he knew Scripture. We read in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 6, Moses on Mount Sinai with the tablets. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Nehemiah 9 they refused to obey, and they were mindful of the wonders that were performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is the God who brought us out of Egypt, and had committed great blasphemies, you, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness. See, Jonah knew from the teaching of Scripture that the Lord was gracious, but he also knew from his own experience when he had sat waiting outside the city for the city to get everything that they deserved, the Lord had caused a, great, a plant to grow up and cover him. When he was thrown into the water to be left for dead, the Lord had caused a fish to swallow him. Over and over, Jonah had experienced the grace of the Lord, but he was unwilling to watch the Lord extend that grace to others. Look with me in the last three verses of the book of Jonah, beginning in verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? 
He said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. And the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow and came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there's more than 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right and their left hand as well as the many animals? You see, Jonah was upset. He was angry that the Lord was gracious to others, but he was pleased that the Lord had shown grace to him. Reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal had come home and the father rejoiced and the older son did what? Refused to go into the party because he didn't think the other one deserved it. What's the problem here? What, what is the conflict? Jonah knew the character of God. Jonah understood that God was gracious and he was kind and he was forgiving, but he didn't reflect the character of God. He, he knew all about God, but he never reflected that character to the others. You see, the entire Bible from the very beginning to the very end is redemptive. Everything points to the fact that it can be redeemed. One day there will be a redeemer. One day it will all be made right. There is a path for all of us. We celebrate the Christmas story because it is the Lord sending his son to be the ultimate sacrifice in order for us to claim salvation. And even though you and I are living in the middle, the in-between time, even though you and I are waiting on the return of Christ... Our time here must be lived on purpose. Jonah judged the people of Nineveh and and determined what they deserved. Forgetting all along what he deserved. May we be a people who understand that the Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth and who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. You and I have much to celebrate as we approach Christmas. We have so much to celebrate if we understand the gift that the baby Jesus was. The purpose that Christ had to come. And ultimately, the rest of the story. But we can't celebrate this miraculous birth without understanding that the entire reason that Jesus came in the first place was to be the perfect sacrificial lamb. The reason he was born was to come and live that sinless life so that he could go to the cross to pay for our sins and purchase and redeem us and call us to himself. So we must take the time to reflect on the love and grace And to share that love and grace with a lost and dying world around us. You know, we know this one last verse and we know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but receive eternal life. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. You know, many of you have heard it said, you can insert your name right there. And that's true. 
For God so loved Randy. That I've been forgiven when I didn't deserve it. But if somehow we are content that we've received this gift and we don't take the opportunity to tell our family and our neighbors and our city and our world that what they are wrestling with and the, in the, the place that they're in doesn't have to be. That there is freedom in Christ and there's forgiveness available to them. Then we're going to be just like Jonah. Sitting on a hill. Not having the character of God. May it never be.